Welcome to Two Hypnotherapists Talking with me, Denise Billen Mejia in Delaware, USA. And me, Martin Ferber in Preston, UK. This weekly podcast is for anyone and everyone who would like to know more about the fascinating subject of hypnosis and the benefits it offers. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and psychotherapist. I'm a retired medical doctor turned consulting hypnotist. We are two hypnotherapists talking. So let's get on with the episode. Okay, yeah, let's get on with the episode indeed. Denise, over to Absol- you. <laughs> Absolutely, Martin. I'm so happy today to have Andrew, Andy Workman joining us from the UK, not not too far from where I grew up. It's an accent I fully remember. Um, but he's got such a big story. We may have to make this a long episode or bring make it into two. Because Andy Andy was first a police officer in the RAF. Is that correct? Military That's right. police? Yeah, yeah. I left school and joined the military, yeah. How long were you, did you serve? I only did three years. I signed on for nine. Um, mm-hmm. And that part of the, is the reason I left. I thoroughly enjoyed my service. It was a fantastic place to be, um, particularly as a young man. I wasn't single. Uh, I met my good lady wife, who I'm still with now, um, when we were 16. So we were already together when I went into the, the Royal Air Force. Um, with full intentions of getting married whilst I was there and seeing my career through, um, but uh, having joined the Air Force in Cold War times, and don't get me wrong, I didn't want to go into battle. Um, no. It was um, it wasn't the job I thought it was going to be. I was um, recruited to be a police officer. That's what I'd wanted to do, um, and I got trained as a police officer. I did all my law studies, and the second I went to my base camp, they gave me a camouflage suit. They gave me three live weapons. And I sat in a field and I guarded nuclear warheads for three years. Um, and kept, to keep myself sane, I was counting the holes in a chain link fence some evenings. So, oh dear. Um, did you find yes, that hypnotic? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. How ironic I end up in the, the same um, occupation some years later. So, um, my good lady came down to visit me, obviously, as my fiance at the time. Um, she saw the conditions under which many of the married quarters were the people that were living in, in the married quarters, and said, there is no way I'm going to bring a family up in those conditions. Mm-hmm. And so um, three years into it, I decided to follow my original career path, which was to become a civilian police officer. Okay. Um, so, Was that um, in, in this country, in the US, that's actually very much appreciated. They give uh, preference. Uh, it, they can pull their rank over even. Uh, into civil police. So, do you did you manage to do that, or did you have yeah, to start I, the, at the floor again? No, I started at the floor again. I, I think, if I'm honest, back in the 1980s, I joined the, the civil police in '86. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no doubt at all that being a, a military personnel back then definitely did open some doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it made it any easier, as in I had, still had to do all my tests and my exams and my fitness and everything else. But you were definitely looked on favorably because of the discipline side of things. Right. Um, right. But the, the service has changed so much now that I retired having done 32 years back about nine years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I left, it, the service has changed dramatically. It was no longer when I joined, it was referred to as the police force. Mm. And o- over the time I was a member, it suddenly became the police service. Um, because they wanted to lose that military authoritarian um, persona, I suppose, that image. 
Um, and now people are the, the people that are encouraged to join the police. I have the greatest respect for them, but they're a very different crowd now to the ones that were encouraged when I first started. Mm-hmm. Uh, but society changes, and recruiting has to change with it, or else you get it very wrong. You know, that's yeah. that's where we get problems. So we need flexibility. That's what we were saying before the of before course. the chat. Yeah, in, in every aspect of life, we need to be flexible. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you had a great career as a civil police officer. I did. I thoroughly enjoyed my time. It was. Did you, um, you served in the West Country too? I did. Yes. Yeah. I, I've served on a number of di- in a different number of different roles. I, I went straight in as the Bobby on the beat, and we did do the beat back then. I've walked in the rain for eight hours, being told not to come back in unless my life depended on it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I ended. My dream was to become a road traffic patrol officer on the motorways, um, freeways, I suppose, highways you'd call it in the states, perhaps. Um, but that was because of a personal tragedy that I, I'd had as a, a child and it drove me to want to be a traffic officer. Um, and then once I'd started there, I decided that maybe promotion might be a good way of keeping my family fed. Yeah, so that's I, um, definitely some positive there. <laughs> it, it tries, yes, it tries. So um, I became a sergeant and went back onto street policing, which is, it's funny, I, I'd always... Because of what had happened as a kid, I, I desperately wanted to be a traffic officer. I thought that was my my goal in life. I thought that was my mm-hmm. path. And um, suddenly I went back to, on promotion, I went back to the streets. And my goodness, I, I didn't realise how much I'd missed that. It was mm-hmm. just fabulous. Just fabulous. Because um, of the interaction with the, with the yes. regular population? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the feeling that, you know... I knew what I was doing as a traffic officer was doing something, some good. Mm-hmm. But the amount of times you're asked as a traffic officer, have you got nothing better to do? Why aren't you out catching the rapists and the burglars? You know, well, yeah, I get that. But my colleagues are doing that. I'm currently trying to keep you alive whilst you're doing 160 miles an hour past a marked control, a patrol car without seeing it, you fool, you know? Yeah. If you um, can't see a police car, you God knows why. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What else haven't you seen whilst you've been traveling like Emerson Fittipaldi down the racetrack, you know? So, um, yeah, so I, I then became uh, promoted to inspector, which is what I finished as. But on promotion there, I became a firearms commander. And that was interesting because I'd never carried a firearms on the a firearm on the streets of the UK as a civilian police officer, and now all of a sudden I'm in charge of everybody that is carrying a gun on the streets mm-hmm. of Bristol. So um, that was an attention getter. That was stress. Um, yeah. And then I ended up beautifully going back out onto the streets to finish my time operationally. And it was my dream that I finished as operationally on the day that I finished as I was on the day I started, and I managed to do that. So I, I literally walked. And I, some colleagues end up in an office, and that's fine. That's their calling. That, mm-hmm. wasn't, that wasn't me. I ended up operationally as I was the day I started, so it was good. Yeah. So at what point did you discover hypnosis? Did you actually retire and, you know, go off to the Channel Islands for a bit? Or? <laughs> no, that would have been very nice, actually. I mean, I get <laughs> When I get my time machine, I might do that one. Um, no, I, I. It was um, a strange story. My um, uh, my boys were a member of the the scout unit, uh, the mm-hmm. scout association, and um, there was a, a lovely couple there that ran the, the the scout unit that they belonged to. And at one point, one of the ladies there appeared to lose an awful lot of weight very very quickly, and we all got concerned. And as a little oh. friendship amongst the leaders, and I was one of them, 
uh, we got a little bit concerned and I got pushed forward as the loudmouth copper to ask the questions of her husband. And um, I just said to him one day, you know, it's um, if there's anything you ever need to talk to me about, you know, I'm here, don't you? And he said, yeah, well, that's a strange thing. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm here if you need me. And he said, yeah, I know that. Why, what, what are you getting at? Nothing, nothing. He said, come on, <laughs> what are you getting at? Said, Quite simple. Your good lady has lost an awful lot of weight very quickly and we're all concerned. He went, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. I can't tell you. She'd kill me if I told you. But I, I said, okay, that's fine. As long as everything's all right. Oh, I've got to tell someone, he says. I've got to tell them. <laughs> So I said, all right. He said, uh, she's done it through hypnosis. He said, she's gone to see this wonderful man. And, and he's, I don't know what he said to Andy. He said, but her appetite and her self-control is unbelievable. He said, it's just incredible. So being me and my sense of humor, I said, okay, that's fine. I won't say anything, but you can buy my silence. He <laughs> said, oh no, what, what now? I said, I need his details. <laughs> so he said, I can't do that. She'd know. I said, no, she won't. I'm not even, I'm not going to use them. I said, I'm going to pass those details straight to my brother. My brother really needs some help with his weight. And um, I, I'm just going to hand them over. He won't know where I've got them from. I'll just mm -hmm. offer them as an option. So that's what I did. At the time, my brother won't be the least bit worried in me telling you. Um, he was about 22 stone. Um, he was a, a big man. Uh, he's mm -hmm. younger than me, slightly taller than me, but he made two of me. And um, I said to him, why don't you give it a go? And bless him, he said, yeah, I've tried everything else, I will. Um, a year later, funnily enough, to the day, the anniversary of his very first appointment with this wonderful hypnos uh, hypnotherapist, he ran the New York Marathon at 16 stone. It had fallen off of him to the point that everybody was asking him if he was well. So that stuck with me. And then at one point, I was unable to do my inspector's exam. So I could not pass them. No matter what I did, I could not pass them. So I said to him one day, do you think that Jim, your hypnotherapist, would be able to help me with my exam stress? And he said, yeah, I'm sure he could. Why don't you speak to him? So anyway, that we went up together. My brother was, by that time, he was getting free treatment from his hypnotherapist because he was a walking advertisement. Literally, mm -hmm. so many people were going to him and saying, well, how have you done that? And he <laughs> said to Jim. And so he was getting free top-ups. Mm -hmm. And he came up with me and he said, I'll get a free top-up and you get your treatment and that'd be done. So this guy puts me into a trance. I hate that word. I really hate, mm -hmm. I don't know as a hypnotherapist how we don't, how we can get round that, but he put me into a trance. And I can remember being compass mentus i could i could tell what was going on i didn't want to open my eyes even though i really wasn't sure that i still could i didn't want to oh i cried but i wasn't crying it was weird i wasn't crying but my eyes were streaming down my cheeks like a baby and this guy was really direct he was telling me you know you can do this you've got belief in yourself and the day you get that and you really believe that you do have that belief in yourself you can do this and he, I can remember him saying, you know, you, you've been doing this job stood on your head for years. Why can't you possibly put it on a piece of paper? Because you don't believe you can. So start believing, you know. Anyway, I, I came out of it and I thought, well, I, I, it's great, but I don't feel that I can suddenly rush into an exam room and do anything. Typical mistake that most people make. But I'm a great believer in fate. And he said to us both, um, you've got a long way to travel back home now. It was about an hour away from us. And he said, I've got no more clients for the rest of the day. 
I'm going to make a cup of tea. Would you like one? And something made both of us say yes. So we're sat there having a cup of tea. And I'm the sort that will wear his heart on his sleeve. So I said to him, I can't thank you enough, Jim. And he said, well, we don't know if it's worked yet. I said, no, no, no. It's not about my treatment. I'm thanking you. I said, I can't thank you enough for what you've done for my brother. I said, I've got to be careful I don't choke here. I said, I think you've probably given me my brother for an extra decade, if not more. And oh. I said, you know, I've been concerned about him. And I said, look at him now. And I know he's still in the room and I'm, I'm talking past him. And Nigel, my brother, Nigel, says, well, there's no change there, is there? Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, <laughs> I said, I just can't thank you enough for what you've done for him. And out of the blue, this guy says to me, well, I'm nothing special. You could do what I do. And I said, no, behave. I couldn't do what you do. He said, you could do what I do. I said, but I couldn't. He said, Andy, you could. Said, <laughs> We've just talked about this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He said, you know, you've got a nice tone of voice. You've got a lovely accent. He said, and I appreciate that that's not what everybody wants to hear, but most of your clients will be local. Mm-hmm. He said, um, you, all I do is relax people and give them a little bit of advice, maybe a little bit of a chivy on. He said, and you're a police manager. He said, if you don't give people advice in your job, who does? And he said, if you're not really good at getting the best out of your team, why are you in your role? He said, of course you could do that with other people. So anyway, I go home that day and my wife, Karen, ever supportive as she is, says to me, how did it go? And I said, it was fab. I'm going to be a hypnotherapist. And she went, oh, my God, not something else. She said, I, I didn't send you to do that. I said, no, no, let, no, let's be sensible about this. I said, I'm going to retire in about 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be one of those old ex-police officers sat in the corner of the office in my civilian clothing saying, we didn't do it like that in my day. I don't mm-hmm. want to be the old dog that goes back. So I said, I, I'm going to look at it sensibly and see if I can do it. So anyway, time goes by. The little side note was I did the exam that year. It was the first time I've ever in my lifetime walked into an exam hall thinking, bring it on. I'm ready. <laughs> bring it on. I don't know where that came from. Can't imagine. But <laughs> I went into that room. Bring it on. I passed the exam. I passed 24th in the UK. I passed in the top one and a half percent. So that makes you start thinking, this stuff works. So, so was the first call to your wife and the second one to the hypnotherapist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was that way around as well. Absolutely. But you see, that that just convinced me. I'm not I'm I'm not trying to be arrogant in that. That actually that what the reason I tell people that part of the story, and my arrogance goes to such an extent I actually phoned up the exam board to ensure that they'd sent the results to the right person. I did. <laughs> I'm not I'm not joking. And the lady in London in the exam office spoke to me like I was a seven-year-old. She said, yes, Mr. Workman, you've done very well. Well done. <laughs> I only phoned up to check. So that's how that's how much self-doubt I had, even though I'd done it. It was crazy. But I, I having been promoted. I then start thinking, hang on a minute, I have got to start digging my tunnel now. My escape tunnel is getting closer and closer, and I need to dig Mm -hmm. it now. So I did my course for hypnotherapy seven years before I retired and um, absolutely loved it. I remember writing in the, we all gave our trainers a, a thank you card at the end, and we all signed it and gave them a couple of little gifts. 
And I actually remember clearly writing in that book, that um, card, thank you so much, not only for the training, but for changing my life. Because there's no doubt about it, it did. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me things that I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is why I've been in a pickle. This is why I've suffered in the past. You know, you don't do 30 years as a police officer without having a few little issues by the finish. Um, and I suddenly realized that, my God, this is what this is what I should have been doing all along, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, I qualified um, and then I worked. If I'm really honest, I, I worked stupidly. I worked like a dog. Um, I was seeing the reason I did. I was able to do that was because um, I qualified and then put out an email to the whole of the, my my force saying, I'm, if you're stressed and depressed and anxious or any of those things, I'm offering free treatment as part of my training. If you want it, get, get in touch. I you think... Swamped. Right. So like 75% the, called you. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit like the Kardashian family breaking the internet. I nearly <laughs> collapsed the force email system. And so you don't turn that you don't turn that opportunity away. Yeah. So I um I was work I was seeing people before I went on to an afternoon shift. I was seeing people after I'd woken up from a night shift. I was seeing people on rest days, weekends. I, I, it was just ridiculous. Um, but the beauty of that is for seven years I worked like a Trojan, but when I retired the door from one career to the other was already wide open. Mm. It was stained glass. It was, you know, it was wonderful. So mm. my transition from one to the other was seamless, absolutely seamless. And it's so many people say to me, how on earth do you ever go from being a police officer to a hypnotherapist? And I think a lot of that is down to their perception of what a police officer is. And and similar to, to the prejudices that people have or hypnosis mm. if it's driven by tv and movies they don't really <laughs> there you no, go you don't draw your gun every five minutes yeah no. yeah so absolutely jump to my mind immediately you know the difference between no not the difference the similarity between a police officer and a hypnotherapist what you need to have with the people you deal with trust rapport exactly <laughs> you, you've got it you, you've got it as a police officer the other thing is are you making that move um by having your colleagues as you know when you were in training all the apprehensions all the things the misgivings people have about hypnotherapy i would imagine with a suspicious police officer's mind would be you know more so um, yeah. and straight away you've allayed those fears because they know you were a police officer and a it, hypnotherapist exactly and I, the nice thing is is that you know there were so many benefits for me but also for my clients, hopefully, in that, you know, we, we are trained throughout our hypnotherapy to ask open questions mm. that for 30 years. I've been interviewing people with open questions and getting as much information as I possibly can in such a short period of time as I, as I have been for 30 years. You know, it's mm -hmm. as much as many people through their own personal experiences, which I deeply respect, will see police officers as authoritarian and rigid and... But actually, I was in it for care. I was mm -hmm. in it because, you know, I keep alluding to that mysterious thing in my childhood. But when I was 12, my my grandfather was killed in a car accident. So, you know, when that happens, 
suddenly you realize that people need to be treated in a particular way. And so when I was on the traffic department, it wasn't about going out and getting speeding tickets just so that I could do it. It was about keeping people safe. It was about preventing any family going through what we had. Mm. So one caring profession into another is not a difficult transition if you mm -hmm. do if you've had the right mindset in the first one, I suppose. Yeah, and I would say as somebody who's um, actually been a volunteer for our local police force on the independent advisory group, um, yeah, the police is a caring profession. People's immediate first thing isn't, but, you know, when you're stuck for something, you go and see a policeman. That's the way I was brought up. If you're stuck for anything, yeah. you know, you, you are in a strange town, you've lost your wallet, you go to the police station, they'll help you out. <laughs> you know, yeah. they'll get you home. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Um, and as I say, we're lucky in Lancashire. Our police force is very, very proactive in involving and engaging the community in a lot of things. Okay, as you say, policing's changed, and maybe um, you know that that isn't how certain officers would like things to be, but that's the way it is. And they yeah. engage properly and they do it properly. But we need to get back onto hypnotherapy, don't we? we yes, of course. We will yes, get two we episodes do. out of this. So, so <laughs> my, my last my last police officer question for you is: <laughs> when you morphed into I'd like some money for my treatment now. Did you get um, police officers coming to you still? Do you still market yourself to the the caring professions, or um, or you just um... so very you know so very interestingly, I have never had a problem with people being prepared to pay me. Never. Um, the second I started charging, it happened, and that was fine. You know. Um, mm -hmm. And yes, I do have that privilege of still helping people. I do have that because maybe because I offer them a discount, a blue light discount, as we refer to it here. I'm sure you have it over there, too. Um, and that's just my way of giving back and respecting the service that they continue to provide. Um, the biggest problem I had as a police officer going into a, a, a private practice was my thought processes about charging people. Mm -hmm. I had real problems with charging people for my time. The imposter yeah. monster. Yes, it's, <laughs> yes it, it, oh, without a doubt, Mark. Well, it, 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 is. Isn't, it isn't, it isn't. It, it, I had the same thing because I worked in an emergency because you didn't ask people for their credit card when they came no? in. You just dealt with whatever it was. Somebody else had that problem. It was there hard is. for me to be the one to to be doing that. Yes, yeah. of course. And, and it, you know, now that I'm 14 years in practice down the line, I'm supervising other people now and have been for a while. And I, I, I've suddenly now been able to say to them what my process was that I had to go through. And that is that, you know, your time is incredibly valuable. We can give away our food. We can give away our clothing. We can give away money all to charity or anyone else that needs it. And we can always do Let's all get more. things because we can get more. What we cannot ever get more of is our time, ever. So actually, if we're selling our time, to, uh, the, the silly little analogy I give people is if, if somebody walked into your practice room right now and said, terribly sorry, but it's a bit late notice, but you know we've just found out you've only got 59 minutes to live. Sorry about that. It's a given. There's no doubt about it. You've got just about an hour to live. If somebody immediately followed them and said, Sorry, it's, it's really bad to hear that bad news, but I'd like to buy that hour off of you. I'd like to buy that last 59 minutes on your on this planet from you. Mm -hmm. because I need your help for that length of time. How much would you charge them for that last hour? Yeah. It's priceless. The really morbid thing, and I'm not going to dwell on it, is that my life has told me over a number of different experiences, we don't know when our last hour is. 
We That's don't know. Yeah. So you could be charging somebody £15 because you don't want to do it any more than that for the last hour of your life, for crying out loud. Now, I don't yeah. say for one minute it needs to be $30 million now because it's my last hour. We don't know that. But just have some ease in saying that this is my fee. And as long as you've done that up front, if somebody comes into your room, they've already accepted that they're prepared to pay that. Mm -hmm. So you can lose the guilt because they've already made the decision for you. It's fine. But at, as you will um, appreciate, Denise, as you've already said, coming from a place where somebody else made that decision, made that demand, and then just paid you a salary every month, that's a that's a big mental step to take. Mm -hmm. It is an interesting one. Mm, it is. I mean, I've, I've worked for myself since I was 23, but I've never, <clears throat> until I became a therapist, I've never been the product, as in right. charging for my time. And yeah. before that, it was always products that I sold. Uh, yes, I, I was a bespoke jeweler before I became a therapist. Um, so that was a big change of career. Yeah, and I, I was never frightened of putting forward the brand of the shop, the products, advertising it absolutely everywhere, but never my name, never my face. And it was only after I became a therapist, all of a sudden it was like, oh, I am the product. And then it was mm -hmm. like I had to get over that ego thing yeah. and not be frightened of putting my photographs on things and using my name to put myself forward. But that's when I got the imposter monster big time, wasn't it, Denise? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you got it down now. Yeah, 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 I got it over <laughs> myself. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, just picking up on something you, you mentioned, Andy, you're saying you don't like the use of the word trans. Denise has a fabulous expression she uses that I pinched off her. Therapeutic relaxation. Nice. <laughs> I like that. I yeah. like that. I, I very often use the, I'm just going to relax you. I'm just going mm. to put but mm -hmm. therapeutic relaxation, I like that. That's yeah. very yeah. good. That's very good. Genius. Okay. <laughs> I've already pinched it off. <laughs> oh, well, there we are then. Okay, so you established your business as, you know, this is what I do. I'm a hypnotist. Sure. Do you work 20, not do you work 24-7, obviously not. Do you have set days that you work? Do you just work as needed? Are you, uh, are you still semi-retired? <laughs> Well, I suppose in, in one way, my, my good lady wife would tell you no. Um, she will tell you I do more hours now than I did when I was a police officer, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, the beauty of the, the strange thing is I've been I've been retired from the police service now for nine years. And mm -hmm. still now it's a novelty to have a bank holiday. That's a bank holiday. It's still yeah. a novelty to have a weekend, which is a weekend. Mm. It's absolutely fabulous. And, it's, and that sounds ridiculous. But if we haven't got any appointments on the Wednesday and we go out midweek to a, a nice national a, a nice national trust building or a, vi a visit mm -hmm. to a museum, it's still a novelty nine years down the line. I'm, I'm very easily pleased. So, um, <laughs> yes, I, I work. Um, Monday to Friday, I work during the day and on the evenings, Monday, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I try to take Friday midday onwards off for a weekend. Mm -hmm. And um, my my wife and I are incredibly obsessed with ballroom dancing. So um, we will go off and do a week's dancing and not think anything of it, which is still a novelty. Um, we're off next week, actually. Um, oh, where you want to? That's fine. Um, but it's a bit like being at work. You know, you know that if you're going to take a week off, you better get your right. um, mailbox get cleared. Out. You better clear it before you go because you know you're going to get a big wad when you get back. And therapy is no different. You know, you're sort of backing up all your all your clients to get them in the last week and then make sure they're all in the week when you come back. But how, I find how, 
How much of your work week is spent on marketing yourself or have you passed the point where it's all it's needed? Yeah, I'm very lucky. I don't market at all, really, um, because I've been in practice for so long now. Recommendation provides enough clients for me, to be honest. Um, and I'm humbled by that. I mean, I, I don't lose sight of the fact that people are very, very kind to trust me that much that they can recommend me and act on that recommendation. Just because it worked for you does not mean it's going to work for someone else. But um, you know, I, I rarely market anything now. Um, and I am very blessed because as a result of um, writing my book, um, I'm in good demand to go all over the world speaking about mental health to corporate audiences and um, the like there. So I'm I, I, I'm living the dream, really. I, I, know I am, horrible I'm, em- I'm embarrassed to say that until Martin showed me your book a couple of weeks ago, I had not realized you had written it. When did you publish? Uh, it was back in 2016. And you okay. don't need to be embarrassed about that. There are a lot of books around in these. You don't need to know that mine exists. That's fine. It's yeah. it was. Um, but I see. I like I like the no nonsense approach to hypnosis. I don't do woo woo. No, <laughs> no. This no. is a god a god given gift that we all have, yes. and we should be using it more. And we should be yes. teaching children very young how to regulate their emotions. I mean, there's there's so many ways it can be used. Yeah, that yeah. that. Oh, you're singing my song now. You know, if I if we could. <laughs> If we could only get into primary schools and start mm-hmm. talking to them about the fact that what they think about is what they get. And we're not talking about the law of attraction. We're talking about what they I'm think. I'm a big about. fan. Well, <laughs> I, I could debate that for hours because I, 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 we could go on and, and go off a completely different tangent. But what we're talking about is, you know, if you if you're the way I describe it to my teenage audiences, which I've got plenty of them, um, the particular activating system in your head acts as a radar and it goes out to find evidence of your core beliefs being correct. So mm-hmm. if you think the whole world is going to be against you, funnily enough, Final you're going to pick up on every yeah. single signal that the world is against you. If you think the world is a wonderful place, funnily enough, it's going to feed back that it's a wonderful place, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's not until you explain to people how simple that process, that, that, mm-hmm. Concept is so the the silly examples I give people is if you if you decide tomorrow that you're going to buy your next motor car and it's going to be a black BMW, you suddenly become aware of every black BMW on the road. Yeah, it's not because BMW have paid for you them to drive past your door. They they haven't got that big a budget. You just suddenly become aware of all of the black BMWs. Yeah, it's what you tuned into in the world. So being pregnant. There you go. When you're yep. pregnant, everybody's pregnant. All of a That's sudden. right. And more importantly, when you're not pregnant, everybody else is pregnant. You know, <laughs> when we were trying for a family, like most people, it took a, a few more months than you thought it might. And all of a sudden, everybody's pregnant. All of Karen's mm-hmm. friends, everybody we meet, even the even the bloke coming out of the pub on a Thursday lunchtime had a bigger belly than Karen. And that wasn't what we were planning. You know, <laughs> this is not fair. So, um, yeah, you become aware that actually... It's what you think about is what you get purely because your brain is actively focusing on all of those aspects that it wants to prove right. And if we can only start people thinking in a more positive way, actually their experience of life becomes much more positive, you know? And that, of course, it feeds on itself. Of course. And, you know, one of the examples I've given in the past, which has been a bit controversial, but it's true, you know, I'm sorry, but it's true, is, you know, as a police officer, if if I stopped you 
And your core belief, your your indoctrination from whatever side of life is that we are all nasty and we're all out to get you, actually, that's going to make you feel instantly threatened. That mm-hmm. that feeling is then going to, to color your behavior. Yeah. Because of your edgy behavior, that's going to color my response to you. And my response immediately then feeds back into, there you are, see, I knew he didn't right. like me because look at it. Now, if you... If the same police officer stops someone else who has, rightly or wrongly, been indoctrinated that we're all saints and heroes, which we never were, I'm not saying that, but if that's the indoctrination you've received, all of a sudden, you're not going to feel threatened. You're going to feel blessed that this hero in a black uniform has stopped you. Your behavior is going to be so much different, and my response is going to be different, and it's going to feed into that, oh, aren't they wonderful? No, they're not. Mm -hmm. People that are being paid to do their job, and I'm I'm under no delusion, but it's very often, it's the thought process of one person that colors the whole experience for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's if we can get that into our heads, it's not about thinking all police officers are nice. They're, they're not. It's about recognizing that actually, if we treat the world as a friendly universe, we get a friendly response. Einstein himself said the biggest decision we can make is whether our personal universe is a friendly one or not. Mm-hmm. Pretty true. If it comes from a genius like that, we can believe it. (laughs) So do you think that police officers and emergency care workers, those people should be taught some elements of hypnosis? Absolutely. I think it should be part of their basic training. Mm -hmm. That's a drum I'm going to beat until my last dying breath. It should be part of their basic training. You've got a friend for life there, Denise. (laughs) Absolutely. Have you had any success selling it to the C-suite, as they call it here? I have. I've had um, hey. I've had a number of I've had a number of forces take on um, my lectures regarding uh, my book is called Cayman and Polar Bears. Um, mm-hmm. That's what my title. Hold it up, man. Oh, you bless go. you, bless you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so it's um, yeah, the checks in the post, Martin. Um, the um, that's that was the title of my signature presentation that I put together. And the reason I'm so convinced it's useful for the police is because actually the reason it even came about was that I had recently qualified when I was promoted to become the firearms commander. And that role is based in the communications room. Now that communications room takes 3000 calls a day from people who are in desperate need of help. 1800 of those calls are on the 999 emergency line, what you would have as 911. So that is a stressful environment. And every one of those people are taking calls, never knowing what's going to be at the end of the line the next time they can pick it up. And it could be my budgerigar has just passed away. That's fine. We can deal with that. It could be the very next call following that one could be a woman that's just been seriously sexually abused at reporting it at the time, distressed Mm -hmm. as they come. So it's hardly surprising that that communication room was a a, a absolute cauldron of stress. Mm -hmm. We were losing... 10% 10% of our workforce every single day through sickness. And in a department of 600 people across five shifts, that's over 60 people a day that we were losing. So I sat there thinking, this is ridiculous. We've got to do something about calming these people down. So I just went to the boss, a, a chief superintendent in this country, and I said to him, I've just recently qualified as a hypnotherapist, and I know what the brain works and a you know, typical... Um, the fervor of a newly trained personnel. And um, I said, do you mind if I try and do something about making us all feel a bit better? 
And I think very short of hugging me, he came out of the chair <laughs> and said, do what you can, do what you can. It's no exaggeration at all to say that I had to deliver that presentation 18 times in order to make sure that we've met everybody and spoken to every single person in that department. And by the time I did the 18th presentation, we'd reduced the sickness by 66%. It wow, had gone down. Impressive. Yeah, it had gone down to 20 a day from 60 a day. So other people got hold of that and said, can you come? Can you come and speak to us? And I was cheeky. And I didn't think I'd ever get away with it, but I said I could. But of course, I did it for my department in their time. I'd have to do your department in mine because I have to work for them. So mm -hmm. I'd have to charge you to do it. Not a problem. Really? No, no, not a problem. What would you charge? And I told them and they had my arm off. And I thought I should have charged them more. But mm -hmm. um, immediately I started doing that. And then it, it got to, can you come and speak to my mum's church group? Can you come and speak to my dad's bank? Can you come and speak to this organization who my boyfriend works for? And it, it started to snowball. And then one day I went to speak to an elderly people's group and this lovely little old lady, uh, probably an angel walking the earth in my, um, in my opinion, she came up to me and she, at the end, and she said, young man, that was marvelous. And the fact she'd called me a young man bought me straight away. But she said, young man, that was marvelous. And I said, well, thank you ever so much. She said, and that was just amazing. And I said, well, I'm really pleased that you enjoyed it. She said, young, I, I have to tell you, she said, I've suffered from depression for over 40 years. And you're the first person who's ever told me how it happened. And you're the first person who's ever given me hope of it going away. And you hear it in my voice. She still has that impact on me. So I said to her, I, you, you, nobody could say anything nicer today. Thank you for that. She said, have you written it down anywhere? And I said, no, I haven't. And she said, you must do that because it's a lot to remember. And I said, yes, I will. And she grabbed hold of my arm and she said, write it. And I said, I will. And with that, she gave me a big hug, really a big hard policeman as I am. And I'm not at all. She reduced me to tears on my cheeks. And, and as she stepped away, she said, write that book, young man. I'll be the first in the queue to buy it. And I started it that afternoon. So it's um, it was just nice that actually recognizing that that message was incredibly important for the police service for the people that are going through that stress but it was just as important and just as powerful for a little lady in her 80s who was just going through the stresses and strains of life yeah who, you know i felt understood for the first time there we go yeah there we go yeah. you know and there are just so many issues and there's I, I always, when I'm explaining hypnosis, if the only thing we did was reduce anxiety in the medical profession, that would be enough. <laughs> but but there's so many other things it can help with. Yes. Yeah. But Do you have a particular niche that you like to work with? Is there a particular thing you... Well, really when it comes to training things like that, I like to, do, uh, I, I like to um, improve hypnotherapists' understanding of post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes some of the standard um some of the standard approaches such as counseling and um the the sort of off the off the shelf that's a terribly insulting thing to say but the off the shelf therapies they can do more damage than good and they yeah. can do it with the best of intentions but actually to de to to get somebody to keep revisiting a traumatic incident and to try and make it better by undoing it and putting it back together. You can't do that. You can, from my own personal experience, you can't do that. So 
I've developed a, an approach through solution-focused um, hypnotherapy, but slightly, slightly tweaked to my own design, really, that actually we don't even go anywhere near the initial incident. You know, how can how can anybody, whether talking about it or or committing it to some therapeutic relaxation, as I love, um, if um, how can we possibly make seeing a colleague being blown up by an IED explosion a good thing? How can we possibly dress that up? What we can do is take the symptoms that have uh, that have developed since that incident and lessen them. So for the classic example is I had a soldier come and see me and yes, he, he'd had exactly that experience. In Afghanistan, he'd had a friend of his blown up by an IED in front of him. Now I can't do anything about that. That's in the past. And there's nothing I can do to change that incredibly horrific situation that he found himself in. How is that affecting him now? He can't refuel a car because the IED was filled with fuel. So it smells, petrol reminds him straight away. He can't go to a supermarket because actually it happened in a busy market street. And the second he smells fresh produce or sees people gathering around shopping, it immediately triggers. Yeah. The worst one, I in my humble opinion as a father myself, was he couldn't even stand the sound of his own children playing because there were children playing in the street when it happened. And the, his last memory before the bang was the children screaming because they were playing you know, in a really pleasant, screamy way like they do. Yeah. Typical sign of a primary school playground. So I can't do anything about the explosion. What I can do is make him feel better about refueling a car. What I can do is make him feel much stronger, much more resilient about going to a supermarket. What I can do is get him to cope with his children playing. And as a result of that, we have. We have, you know. So, so actually, by getting rid of the – by lessening or even diminishing – disposing of sometimes the triggers we don't have the responses that we would get from full-blown ptsd but to keep on talking about the bomb it's never ever going to go away for him yeah so this methodology you're talking about andy is this something that you offer to other hypnotherapists as a cpd yes yeah yeah right brilliant and i'm really pleased to say it's a really popular one and i'm Mm. I'm bits with that because it's it's not about the making the money from the CPD. Of course it is. It's my time, and we've talked about that. Mm. But it's also about the fact that I'm arming people with the tools that are required by so many people out there. And I can't do it all on my own, and I wouldn't dream of even thinking that I'd be capable or able to do it. So let's get as many people doing that as we possibly can. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But just to be absolutely clear, this CPD, you can offer it to anybody who's you know, had whatever kind of training in hypnotherapy, not necessarily yes. solution focused. No, absolutely not. No, you can find that out from your website, which brilliant. It's up there behind you and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Something I wanted to talk with you about though, because Denise and I have had a similar discussion just very recently. And you were mentioning it on Facebook in your group about getting people back into the classroom for the CPDs. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you, your willingness to sort of take a CPD to a different area in the country and what have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how are you finding it now? Because people did, we through, we got through the COVID era. Zoom's been brilliant, for example, for expen- expanding our client base around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got therapy clients in America and I've had one in Australia as well. Um, and I've got some on the continent. But yeah, the, the CPD thing, it's like today I was in the classroom delivering a mental health course. And yeah, that buzz of being there in the live atmosphere, it's good. Um, mm. So I, I don't know, it's, I'm still undecided. It's one or the other, you know, what are your 
Right. It, so it just doesn't have to be. It doesn't surely have to be. Uh, you either do this or you do this. No, not at all. Can, yeah. Not at all. Okay. That, and that's and that's certain. If ever that's come across as my approach, that's totally misunderstood. Um, and I, I'm delivering my my PTSD course um, on the first of October online. This and it's available to anybody, and that's not a hard sell, but there it is. So that's just to say that yes, I do do online, and of course there's there's value to it. The, the what concerned me is that over the the COVID pandemic, everything went online. And to start with, people thought, oh, I don't like doing that. I don't like doing that. And now very few, very many of them won't do anything but. Yeah. but. But the difficulty I have with that is that actually I feed from the energy of other people. You know, it's here, it's lovely. Without being silly and patronizing, you two have got a lovely energy and you can feel it coming across. I mean, I, it, you're very <laughs> easy to speak to, but that's because we're doing it conversationally. Mm. I'm not delivering a workshop to you. Now, if you were sat there, um, sitting there, that's my Bristolian, sorry. If you were sitting there listening to me deliver a talk and chalk presentation, mm. it's very nice of you to be looking at the screen. But whilst I'm concentrating on what I'm delivering, Denise suddenly decides, oh, I need some clarification on that. So rather than being polite and go, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute, she presses the little button and her hand comes up. I'm in my flow. I've missed that. Yep. I've missed that. A quarter yeah. of an hour later, you think, one, how impolite, and two, I've completely missed the thread now and I don't even know what the question was. And even if I asked it now, yeah. he's moved on so far, what's the point? Yeah. I, do, I do think if you're going to have large groups, I mean, if it's two or three, yes, you can you can have a conversation. But if you're going to have a, a group of more than eight people, say, I think you've got to have a second person monitoring the chat oh, so absolutely. that that person can interrupt. Absolutely. Because oh, it is so agree. essential. I, I know, yeah. obviously, I don't deliver hypnotherapy courses but delivering the mhfa courses online i'm blessed that i have somebody else to do the tech for yeah. me because mm -hmm. as soon as yeah. you start getting onto the breakout rooms and this that, and the other it's fine until something goes wrong yeah, yeah. I, I think the other biggest biggest concern i have is what we're missing out on mm. and that mm -hmm. is um with my cpds online i will always do a maximum of 50 minutes and then take a 10 minute screen break yes mm -hmm. so i encourage people to say Get away from the screen, go make yourself a cup of coffee or something similar, go and make sure the kids haven't killed each other, whatever it might be you need to do, and then come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Were... 50 minutes is that optimum time. Yeah. After, yeah. after that, the, the mind starts yeah. to wonder. Of course. I've known, known that for years, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, but the point but, is, but... go on. Well, I was going to say, for me, it's it's the networking that you can do when you're in physics. There it is. I mean, you exactly can, you can. I have had some, I've got some very good friends. I have never met, really. Yes. <laughs> but it's it's 10 times the work. Yes, yes. <laughs> to, you know, I don't know, I don't know. You said a good thing, but I don't know all the other things you might have said. You know, you don't, you don't right. have a feel for the person. That's the point. You know, I on Saturday, this Saturday just gone, I travelled three hours to deliver a four-hour workshop and travel three hours back again. So I was in the chair, you know, two, two and a half times longer than I was actually on my feet. But when we had our breaks there, as you do, because 50 minutes is your concentration level, we networked. We talked about other things other than the subject we were talking about. And it's, it's silly little things. Like, you know, you, you might end up just talking about random stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the good examples I can give you is I keep bees. I'm a beekeeper. 
And when people start talking about... I like him more and more every minute. (laughs) (laughs) But when you start talking about hobbies and you say, oh, of course, I keep bees, a whole conversation takes place. It always Mm -hmm. does. But then when I call them some months later and I, I say to that person, oh, hi, it's Andy. Andy? Yeah, Andy, we met at the PTSD course. I'm the beekeeper. Oh, the beekeeper. That reminds people. Mm. And we wouldn't have had that conversation if we were online. Yeah. So, and you're much, it's not about getting stuff out of people, but I am much more likely to do you a favor if I've met you on those terms. If we've built up some mutual ground outside of our work, I'm much more likely to meet your demands or requests of me than I am to say, yeah, yeah, look, we met at a PTSD workshop. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I really don't know you well enough. Whereas if we've more business is done around the water fountain than it ever yeah. is in the boardroom. Yeah. And CPP courses are no different. They're no different. No, I've, I've been delivering courses online and I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, but today I delivered a course I've been doing live in the uh, training room today. And the, the buzz, the energy from it was a different thing yeah. altogether. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's little things, you know, from my police experience, I know I keep going back to that, but it was a big chunk of my life. Mm. I do actually deliver um, a body language CPD mm. and I will only ever do that live for the very reason that... that you can't see it. Exactly. You've got this bit of the body. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And actually, you know, until, you re- until you're told, you don't realise how much you read somebody else's legs. Right. That the signals you can get from someone's legs, well, it's probably just as well you can't see mine. They're not pretty. But, you know, <laughs> you can't see my legs. You, you can't see whether I'm welcoming, whether I've closed down. You can't see whether any of your questions have offended me or caused me concern. I could tell you that if I saw your legs. Yeah, or somebody's so, tapping their foot constantly. There you go. Interested or whatever. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing is, is, is focus. You know, if you're in a room with somebody, you focus. Whereas you will know, if you've done anything online, and both of you have, you will know that you see that little line of people on the side of your screen as your attendees, and they're all muted. But every so often, you get that little, little tick in your eye that lets you see one particular person mm. and they're doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because no matter how much you say to somebody, I'm working, I'm in the yes. room, I'm, I'm doing a course, I'm going to be four hours. Yeah. Somebody comes in and says, mom, where's my socks? Or dad, <laughs> the dog's eating the cat again, you know? Yeah. So when they came to, when they came to the venue for Saturday, I had 13 lovely therapists I had their undivided attention. They had my undivided attention. There were no distractions. Oh, my goodness. The buzz at the end was fantastic. And that wasn't all about me or the quality of my training. It was about the fact that we had kindred spirits in a room talking about a mutually interesting subject. And we were getting, I get as much from doing that as the as the lecturer, as hopefully they do as my students. It, it's amazing. That's not always possible online. We are, we are burning through the clock here. Um, <laughs> one, when you were talking about working with children, mm-hmm. I can't remember if we recorded that or if it was a previous conversation. <laughs> but, <laughs> so just recap briefly that you talk to children. I do. I, I <laughs> because, talk to children, Because yeah. talking to them in person and talking to them through a box yes. is a different experience. Of course. Of course. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's 
I, I make you're very lucky that I haven't come in all my corporate kit today because I usually come very stuffy with a, a bow tie because that's one of my that's my brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I made that decision some time ago as a ballroom dancer. I'm very comfortable in a ballroom to, uh, in a, a bow tie. Um, and it's amazing how as a brand that will get anybody speaking to you. So actually, I always, if I go to see teenagers, my bow ties are always Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. And I know that they've all outgrown that by now. But the amount of really streetwise kids that come up to me and say, like your ties, sir, because they're <laughs> as well, you know, um, it, it's a, a talking point. Now, if I turn up here with a bunch of teenagers on, on the end of a screen and I've got Batman and they must. Their immediate response must be Nutter. He's, you know, yeah. he's trying. Oh, look at him trying to build bridges. Right. Yeah. Whereas actually, if I turn up like that and I start talking to them before the lesson and I find out things about them, and, and, and again, it's with the body language. Of if course. You're physically in the room. Yeah. Yeah, and it has a whole different effect. You know, it's 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 so nice where. I, I can be warmer in person, of course, than I can on a screen because you mm-hmm. read my whole body language, you know, and it's and you, it's not it's not like a creepy close, but you can stand closer to people. You the, mm-hmm. the energy of being in somebody else's personal space in an appropriate way is huge, absolutely yeah. huge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In the, the same way in which if somebody's in our personal space that we don't want in there, we can feel it, can't we? There it is. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you, you're right. We've burnt through time. We're going to have to wrap this up. This That's time. me. No, <laughs> no, no. I, no. Andy, I talk. Yeah. I'm sorry. Absolute delight. Absolute yes, delight. So. Fantastic first guest on our series four. Andy, yeah, thank you so great much for season. coming on. If yeah. people want to get in touch with you regarding hypnotherapy or any of your cpds or absolutely anything at all about you they can find it all on the website can't they andy workman yeah absolutely yeah absolutely thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute my genuine pleasure thank you so much for the invitation and you'll be sorry to know that you can invite me back anytime you like it was a (laughs) (laughs) wonderful we hope you've enjoyed listening Please remember, this podcast is designed to give you an insight into therapeutic hypnosis and is for educational purposes only. So remember, consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you've heard may apply to you or a loved one. If you found this episode useful, you can apply for free continuing professional development or CME credit using the link provided in the show notes. Feel free to contact either of us through the links in the show notes. Join us again next week.